cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned into the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. As usual, my name is Kingsley Kipuri, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm really, really excited for what we've got lined up. Um, I'm a show we've been trying to put together for a while, and a guest I've been trying to get in for a while. Um, to give context, I think it's just worth looking at sort of some of the biggest stories from the past couple of years, and one that certainly dominated the sort of the, the, the minds and the conversations of, of, of South Africans has certainly been, you know, the student protests, the student movements. And we've we've gone from not having an idea what is going on to suddenly having conversations that are about what is decolonial education, um, what is the value of statues or what is the symbolism of paintings or names of halls at universities. Is tertiary education actually a right for young people in this country? Is it a luxury? Um when this all broke out, we found that traditional news organizations, which had been around telling us what, you know, what's going on in the country, were ill-poised um, and found themselves sort of flat-footed in, in, in telling us the story. And suddenly one previously unheard of organization and, and my guest in studio now found themselves in the eye of the storm um, to tell us what was going on. I'm joined by award-winning journalist formerly of the Daily Vox, who currently applies her trade at the Mail and Guardian at the Center for Health and Journalism, Becky Sisa. Ponzo Pilane, how are you doing? Hey, Kingsley. Oh my gosh, you make me sound so amazing. <laughs> you've done a lot, man. You, you, you've, you, you've done a lot and you do a lot. So thank you for making time for us. It's my pleasure. It's long overdue. <laughs> when I say the words fees must fall, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to oh, mind? Running away from tear gas. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but what comes to my mind really is just like a very... On a personal note, a very pivotal moment for my career, mm. as you've mentioned, and also a very testing time for what kind of journalist I would become in the future. So having been a vet student at that time, yeah. having been somebody who was for um, free education and somebody who was very heavily involved in other social justice issues or other campus leadership stuff, it was like, yeah, I was... If I wasn't reporting on Fismas 4, yeah. I would have probably been one of the protesting students. So it was like um, having to understand my my position, where it was, and not have the FOMO to become like a protesting student. Yeah. And understand that the form, uh, my reporting could be a form of protest and activism in itself. And... In that, as important as that was for me, what was very important as well was to be like to be a truthful um, and professional journalist because that was what I was planning to do with the rest of my life from 2015, you know? So it was like balancing those two things for me was hard at times, but I also, I was very convicted in the way that I wanted to report and in the way that I reported in it. And looking back now, I think that I wouldn't change anything, but like anything major about it. I think I would have been more emotionally prepared and maybe uh, I, I would have been harder on, 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 on myself to, to write more to, and like to, uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that I think I missed out on is doing the live tweeting and like writing the quick stories. I don't think I wrote enough. You know, um, the other day I was reading my journal, my personal journal that I mm. kept through Feeds Must Fall, and I was just mm. like, oh my gosh, like there's so much that 
like short stories or short anecdotes about what was happening on the mm. day that I want to expand on. Mm. And I wish I had like sat in that moment and thought about those things that were bothering me then and wrote more on that. You said so many things I want to jump into. Okay. <laughs> yeah. First, you mentioned being a student. So you were, were you in your undergrad at the time? You were in honors at the time? No, I was doing my honors. Yeah, I was doing my honors. In honors. Yes, okay. in 2015. So you'd yeah. been there. You'd been around. You, you know, you know, you were around. You know, the students, you know, some of the student leaders, I yeah. imagine. These are your friends. You yes. know, these people. Yeah. You've already said that you believe in the free education cause and you, and, you, and you sympathize very deeply with a lot of the issues that are being raised. At the same time, you're having to be a journalist. Yeah. How do, how do you balance that? If, if these are your friends, these are your people, these are your comrades, and, they, and they, you may have to write something negative about them or, or, or not be able to report something that you know from a private conversation. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you remain quote-unquote neutral when you're obviously not neutral? I think... Um the most important yeah. lesson for me was my then editor and manage my then editors mm. actually at the Daily Vox, mm. Azad Issa from Nas Parker and Khadija Patel, who's now my boss again. Yay. Um, <laughs> indirectly though. Um, she, they all said that, you know what, we are in solidarity with the students as the daily vox and in our individual capacities. That is the, that is a fact. That is the truth. We have come into, as the daily vox, we are birthed from being different. We were an alternative media voice. And it was very clear from the stories we've covered about students before. You know, we had been covering NSS shortage for two years before Fees Must Fall mm. happened. Yeah. Uh, just to side, uh, side, like, bar-ish a bit, or side note, is that the Daily Vox and all of us at the Daily Vox at that time were uh, unknowingly preparing for the moment of Fees Must Fall because we were covering student issues when they seemed minute, when they seemed like no one cares for. When Vitz had a NFSA strike at the beginning of 2015, we covered it in depth. When some uh, college in Eastern Cape was burnt earlier that year and the year before, and students were protesting, we covered that. We covered DVT, we covered UCT during Rose Must Fall because Raisa Patha was there. So we were, it was almost like we, we were in training for Fees Must Fall for a very long time. Even though we didn't know, you know, uh, it, it might have been luck as well, but that was our story and we had no choice but to make it what it was and what it has become. So, like I was saying, you know, it was, it was hard to, um, sometimes say the things that students were doing because, um, I want to be, I, I don't want the students to seem like, the, what they're doing is wrong, you know, I'm for the cause and I want to protect the cause, but mm. the students overturned a van and stoned it yeah. and injured the passenger. You know, that is the truth that, that happened mm. in 2015. And I, I couldn't not report on that. They chased the van down the road. But also what was important was to say that before they chased the van down the road, the van tried to over, uh, over, like run over students, you know, so, and it was just like when I was, when we were reporting on it, it was always the reminder that we were given from my editors that you, yes, we are on this side, but the principles of journalism still apply. 
So simply because, we, like in general journalism, I think simply because we don't publicly declare where we stand, it doesn't mean we don't stand somewhere in, yeah. in a personal capacity, right? So I don't think um, the the concerns that were sometimes raised about um, can you really be objective or everything? Can yeah. you actually be objective anyway? Do you not have an opinion if you're not a journalist? What happens at the end of the day? What happens when you read the news? Are you not socialized into a certain uh, kind of world to believe certain things already? So um, I think actually it would be better for journalism if organizations actually declared where they're coming from. So you so, would be okay with Publication X saying yes, we are I, aligned to this? Yeah, we are aligned to um, very neoliberal ideas and capitalism. We are aligned to that or we are... Very, I think that would be more honest. So even for readers or consumers of yeah. media, I think you would know when you read something. And I think that's what makes the Daily Vox such a great thing. You kind of already know when you're reading. You know, another story at the Daily Vox is the Daily Vox is very pro-Palestine, right? But uh, our stance on pro-Palestine did not stop us from reporting on things that the BDS were doing yeah. that... Uh, we're not necessarily kosher. We're not okay. We're not okay. We're not okay. <laughs> That's all right. That was a good one. Things that were not necessarily okay yeah. or if uh, BDS was in uh, in the media for certain uh, things that were perceived yeah. as negative, yeah. right? So it's having a stance or believing in something does not mean that you kind of throw away your journalistic integrity, mm. And this is why you, we also have editors, you know, and people who are there to vet you and vet the things you're saying. Um, I remember once during Fees Must Fall um, protests in 2015, one of my editors, I said, like, I had written something and they're like, no, but like, why is that happening? Did mm. the students really do that? Like, it wasn't just, I was like, oh, but shame, like the students. It's like, no, 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 no. What is the context? Yeah. You know, so I don't think uh, publicly being in solidarity or privately should be a hidden fact because, I mean, we know already. I mean, that's it's worth saying that it often emerges anyway. If you if you follow a, a news site or a journalist, it, it over time will sort of a trend will emerge and you sort of figure exactly. Out and with Twitter, yeah. sooner or later, we've seen in the past that Who's who? yeah, like people will tweet certain things and. You know, I think I think one of the reasons I love social media is that is that people slip and people reveal like you become comfortable because you tweet from your home, you tweet from a place where you're not fronting, you tweet in your pajamas, in the bath, in your bed. You know, you are really like yourself, and sometimes that comes across in in your tweets as well, and you you get to see um, the kind of people that are that are. That people are, it becomes very revealing. So yeah, so even in, I think in journalism, we can see sometimes where certain people's ideologies lie. Now being so open, I mean, as you said, I'm being sympathetic to the students and being a student. Did that ever put you in tough situations where perhaps other media are saying she's not, she's she's a student, she's just. She's a spokesperson for the students, basically. Or whether other students are saying, you're pretending to be one of us, but you're then, you know, 
airing our dirty laundry is would you ever have situations where you know either side will call you into question i wouldn't say i was sympathetic yeah. to the student i would say i was in solidarity, in solidarity. with them yeah because right. the student's reality the fees must fall reality was my reality okay. i was a self-funding student yeah. and who had literally begged uh, different departments at the beginning of mm. that year mm. to fund for my honors because my parents were like, if there's no money, like you really have to. Um, okay, it's not a theoretical. Sympathy. Yeah, it wasn't. A, yeah, real, it was like I am this person. Yeah. I ex- I know exactly what it is. I started working, mm. uh, not only to just gain experience, but because I needed the extra money so I can buy toiletries and like buy groceries at the end of the month. Mm. You know, it was a great job which I liked, but it was also not. Oh, I want to start, you know, spending six hours a day at school and then yeah. coming back and spending six hours working and then spending another eight hours. I was not getting four hours of sleep for a whole year for fun, basically. So, yes, um, there were critiques that I was not experienced enough okay. um, to cover the story and that I was on the student side and that the Daily Vox is, what did Adam, the, the vice chancellor of Vitz called the Daily Vox last year in, in an opinion piece? Oh, it was such piece. a good one. What did he say? It was such a good one. Yeah, like I forgot that. Yeah. So yeah, that, those kind of like <laughs> okay. things existed even okay. then, you know, um, I think a lot of people underestimated, mm. uh, me and my fellow journalists, uh, and friends at the Daily Vox. I think, um, no one expected what what fees must fall became, you yeah. know. But I think it was also very silly for many media organizations to take for granted what fees must fall would become, yeah. considering that roads must fall had happened earlier that year. Like it was just a sitting duck, and I don't understand. I, I wasn't in a mainstream newsroom, so I don't mm. understand the conversations. But having people who were in mainstream newsrooms who told me that. Um, producers, editors didn't think Fees Must Fall was an actual thing until it was too late, you know? And so it, it's quite interesting that um, I think it happens a lot in the media in South Africa where I think Marikana was a, a result of uh, not taking an issue serious enough until it was really bad. I think that is the result of many protests as well and Tristatane. And many other things that happen in this country don't just happen, you know. And, yeah, Fees Must Fall was a very pivotal point in South African history. It's been two years and people are still asking me about Fees Must Fall, as you are. And so it really really shows how big of an issue it is. And I'm still very surprised that it wasn't... It was, it, it, it took, um, mainstream media so long to, like, catch, catch up and to understand what was happening. Yeah. When, when, do you remember a particular moment when you stopped? I mean, you said at the beginning that it was a pivotal moment. Do you remember when you first stopped and you were like, okay. So. It's not just me at my school. This is, this is a thing. This is a thing. So. Yeah. I, the, Fees must fall at Vitz, hashtag Vitz shutdown, which was what it initially was, yeah. started on the 14th of October, a day after my birthday. Okay, that's it. And so, yeah, I woke up that morning to a gazillion messages on our honors WhatsApp group about students not being able, like my classmates couldn't park uh, because like the gates were barricaded and stuff. So, 
um, there were like there was uh, frantic messages about like, oh my gosh, is it safe? What is happening? You know, and um, a friend of a very very good friend of mine was on the SRC, mm. and they knew that the SRC was having a march. At 12 o'clock that day, okay. a, fees, a fees increment, like anti-fees increment march. And so, okay, it was bigger than I thought it was. Oh, clearly, yeah, I was like, okay, clearly something else is happening. Mm. So I quickly got dressed and got to campus. And yeah, the, ba- the gates were barricaded. There were like literally maybe at the most 20 people at all the entrances, like students protesting. And... At first, I was like, oh, okay, this is, mm, okay. I start tweeting. Mm. And I started tweeting because I'm hearing on the radio that, oh, my gosh. Like, it was like some, it was so exaggerated. And also, like, the WhatsApp group of my honest class is, like, pissing me off. Okay? It's just like, there is swart ghafar everywhere. Like, oh, my gosh, is it safe? Oh, my gosh, we need to cancel class. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was just like, seriously, really? <laughs> And, and you're standing, you're there. Yeah. And you're and the listen, like, I'm wearing a crop top and a short skirt with sandals because, okay. listen, I really didn't think it was going to be a big deal, okay. you know? So I was just like, I wore what I would wear yeah. to campus. I wasn't like combat radio or anything at all. Yeah. It was like the worst day ever in terms of my wardrobe. Yeah, um, anyway, so I'm like standing there and I'm just like, okay. So I just start tweeting. I start like interviewing the students at the gates. I'm seeing the traffic build up at the Empire mm. Road entrance and at the Yale uh, Road uh, Jerison entrance, mm. seeing the traffic. So I'm going up and down that hill, checking both sides, right? And there's a bit of commotion at the Empire Road entrance. Um, Metro Police was there. I saw a few journalists arrive. And um, I'm hearing on the radio, like, breaking news about... The gates being barricaded So I'm just tweeting You know I'm not even tweeting From the Daily Vox account Because I'm just like I was just like Venting basically You know how you vent On Twitter I was just like Oh my gosh People are so dramatic Like seriously Nothing is happening yet But this is what The student X says Why she's here This is what student X says Why they're here And Mm -hmm. whatever Um, I quickly interviewed Shaira Kala Who was the SRC president At that time So the story was like Building momentum And then I overheard We're shutting down vets and obviously, I call my editors. I'm like, guys, this is actually what's okay, happening. So that's, that's the most. Yes. Okay. And we're like, okay, okay, are you sure? I was like, I heard it. It's going to happen at any moment. And we just waited for it to happen. And by midday, by 12 o'clock, this is 7, 8 in the morning. At 10-ish, 11, all the me- big media houses are arriving there. And I've been following the students around kicking, like they were going into classes, saying, disrupting lesson, uh, lessons, saying that they're kicking the lecturers out and it's like moving up. And all of a the sudden there is a swamp of students at the bus station. And we go into Solomon Matlangu house, previously known as Senate house. I went up to the second floor. I took an aerial picture. Yeah. And then it was announced that the campus has shut down. And there it was. The biggest probably moment ever like that I had experienced yeah. in my life. It was just like there. It was happening. And I'm standing there and I'm like, wow. And yeah, I was, I was on campus until 1 a.m. the next morning um, doing interviews. I sat in meetings. So another thing. Uh, which really helped. Yeah. I had the 
the duplicity of being a reporter and a student. Yeah. So I couldn't get kicked out of mass meetings. Those meetings would be like, okay, because media, I have a student card. Like, get out, yeah. this is me. You cannot kick me out. This wow. I matter. Yeah. I need to hear. You cannot do that to me. Yeah. But I had to make the promise that certain conversations were off the record yeah. and certain things cannot be publicized or everything. Mm. So that was like my relationship with the students. Mm. Right? I was their person. They were my people. As in like we eat at the matrix together. We attend lectures together. We, I'm friends with some of them. These are people that I live at res with. These mm. are people I did my first show with, group projects. These are people I know, right? And that was a big advantage. I won't not lie. But I also needed to know how to use it. So having that information that I was hearing that I was not supposed to be hearing, mm. that another journalist could have got because they had a source who's a student there. I just, I was my own source. Yeah. So sometimes I had to step out of my body and say, how do I strategize or how do I plan as a journalist with the information that I have? Mm. So what time will I get to campus? You know, things like that. What is the news peg for tomorrow? Because they, I already know what they're going to do. So it was, it was mm. a, it was a major, it was a major advantage, but like anyone could have had it. I just happened to be the person who would be the inside source for myself. And also Aisha Daddy Patel, who was yeah. also a student there, and all the other student journalists at UCT and at the university know, currently known as Rhodes. And, you know, everywhere where things were yeah. reverberating. So it was just like not a, it was not a coincidence that the Daily Vox, myself, Raisa, Aisha, were the people that drove the conversation and the the news agenda when it comes to these mass I mean, You said you've been annoy- unknowingly preparing for this moment. I mean, and secondly, I mean, at least for you, I can't speak for everybody. It's worth recognizing just the sheer effort and number of hours you put into this. I mean, the few times I was at Vits, you had, you know, it was <laughs> as if you never left. I mean, it was as if you never left. And I, I, I'm curious. I was really surprised earlier when you said, I wish I wrote more. I did. I, I know what you meant, but I'm, I'm thinking of just the, the, the physical, mental and emotional toll, the number of hours you were putting in to this must have taken on you. And the, just the sheer emotions that would happen in the student meetings and if somebody's injured or if there was police aggression. Or, it's, an, it's, an, it's an emotional, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, it's an emotional yeah. <laughs> moment. It's, 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 I mean, traumatic is a strong word, but it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a heaviness. So I suppose two questions. Is one, I can't understand how you wish you did more. But the, the, the first one is how did, you, how did you cope weeks and weeks and weeks with no end in sight of, of being switched on all the time? Of of being a journalist and a student, yeah. of I'm sure you had your own course and your own things to worry about yeah. and your own life, and just being switched on probably about twenty hours a day for weeks. How how did you do it? I do not want to promote a certain okay. energy drink, but <laughs> like yeah, a certain energy came brand through, came through for you. Yeah, gave me wings. <laughs> I was having like four cans a day. Yeah. Um, I was living off fruits. I was. I I don't remember in the first, let me say, six days of Fees Must Fall if I actually had a proper meal. I, it was like self-care was out of the window, right? Yeah. And the most, 
like fortunate thing is like sometimes when I was out on the stories, like the students while barricading the gates and all that, they'd yeah. offer me water, give me an apple, give me a sandwich. So it was always so nice, you know. <laughs> so I was never really out of food. And um, I think as the momentum also grew, like my uh, editor Khadija would bring food yeah. for me sometimes and she'd like ask me, are you eating? Are you drinking enough water? Because she knew I was living off energy drinks. Mm. You know, there was no other way. Um, and also people having that keen interest in in the reporting, mm. I would have people call or even like tweet me and like, hi, I'm coming to campus to deliver. Would you like me to bring you anything? Okay. It was it was quite, it almost, yeah, it was quite amazing. So I wasn't sleep. I was sleeping at the most four or five hours, like throughout feet. And being on your feet for the other yes. 20 hours. Yes. And yeah. being on my feet <laughs> and running. Yeah. I lost I think I lost four or five kgs okay, kilos for fitness. Yes, no, 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 no. Seriously, <laughs> like my pay, my running pace, it was so much better after fees must fall. I'm not even joking. Like all my clothes were falling off. At like, yeah, that's a very very narcissistic way of looking at it. But like, really, fitness levels were on fleek after that. So it was it was physically exhausting. It was. I remember the first after the first night. Well, yes, I, and I went home and I was in the shower, you know, and you know how shower water sounds. And I could hear, I swear I could hear students sing in Solomon. And I was so far away from campus, but yeah. I was like in the shower and I was like, why am I hearing like so, your Solomon around me? What's happening? Because like I heard that song so many times that day. It was just like ringing in my ears. And so, yeah, it was that. And yeah. You couldn't sleep There was no way I didn't want to sleep There were days when my editors would like try force me to leave campus You know um, And be like you have to go sleep um, I think the night of the When they, when they kidnapped the, I like calling, jokingly calling it The kidnap of the The senate Or the exec <laughs> It was Five in the morning And I had like I was like Periscoping And literally like uh, People who were watching The periscope I could see the comments Come up You know how periscope mm. works and It's like uh, the It's it's wobbly It's 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 not straight Because I was so tired oh. And my arms were tired So I was not keeping it Up straight And it was just like I was ex- I was I was very tired And yeah Things like that And sometimes my phone Would drop and everything So I th- But I think that's what made It such a genuine story As well yeah. You know And yeah, I don't know how I survived. Um, I slept after fees must fall, I must say. But then I also had to submit my honors thesis. So that, there was that. But luckily I had a really great supervisor who obviously gave me an extension because they could, they, they, they saw the work that I, I was, was doing. pretty clear what you were up to. Yeah, <laughs> so I couldn't even lie. I couldn't be like, oh, I was sick. No, I wasn't yeah, sick. Okay. You know what I was doing. I got so. this momentous yeah. thing that I'm trying to Yeah, so um, she gave me an extension and it really helped. Yeah, and that's yeah. how I survived. <laughs> um, and, and what about uh, emotionally when you have all this happening and we have also things that are that are close to you i mean you're very you're very open about um, I mean, gender being so important to you and your feminism and when you see the solidarity of the movement uh, in regards to in regards to especially to women and the female students being questioned and now suddenly i can imagine there's now a values clash in terms of i i'm in solidarity with this but now my values are being challenged 
is that do you do you do you recall any sort of value based or emotional toll happening in there was an emotion there yeah there was an emotional toll yeah. right like just navigating that space was emotional and for me it was the gender thing that was like the first visceral thing that i had no doubt i didn't care what the students would say yeah that I was not going to be quiet about it. And so I wrote an op-ed for City Press okay. titled Patriarchy Must Fall. And I remember the, the, the scenario that I paint out in that, mm. uh, opinion piece. Um, I was tweeting that they were swearing at Unum Pendulo, uh, as she was trying to speak on the third or fourth day, right? And oh, so this is really early on then. Yeah, okay, it's like no, this is like day three. Okay, like so this is not like just got this is before yeah. like the Dukes came. This I mean, is that's like, interesting because the narrative that it was a strong United start. Yeah, and then but over even time, in, no, no, no. Even splintering. in that start, there was there that's was already it's so interesting yeah. that that's day three. Yeah, so it's not, day three. So yeah. I hate, uh, this is why I always yeah. laugh sometimes when I read stories and they're like the split in the mood, the the gender split yeah. or the gender war began. No, it was always there. Uh, um, women who were part of the protests or the queer people that were part of the protest and the gay guys and the lesbian women who were part of the protest from day one were complaining. It was, I think it was day two. We were sitting at one of the gates and these guys said they were hungry, right? These male people okay. who said they were hungry and they told one of the female protesters to go make them a sandwich. Like, she has not been running around the whole day as well. Like she doesn't have anything to do. Like she's not tired. And um from the conversation, yeah, it was like, but you have to make me a sandwich. I'm hungry. You must make me a sandwich. Like this is day two. Right? And like I said, that com uh, the, the, the situation where now I'm uh, I'm I didn't tweet that out because it was just like it was quiet, so nothing was really happening at that point. But I noted it. Yeah, and you know, is it an yeah. individual squabble? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I noted it, and it, and it stayed yeah. with me. So when um, Adam Habib had just returned from uh, the conference in Durban, hmm. and um, um, Numpen, uh, like Numpendulo was trying to talk, I think it was also because the transition from Sha'ira to Numpendulo was about to happen anyway in terms of like SRC leadership. Yeah. So between her and Sha'ira, they would like, you know. And so, yeah, and this guy, this group of guys said, we can't be told by a woman. I remember very vividly. So I'm tweeting it out. I'm tweeting these things out as I was tweeting. And I start getting attacked on Twitter. Oh, you're lying. You're trying to discredit the student movement. Day three. Day three. I'm lying. <laughs> this was before the sit-in. Oh, my. my. Like, this is how oh, soon this my. was. It was before the sit-in. Yeah. Before the sit-in. And superheroes, Ebo and Vianney come with a big crowd and obviously this cheering and everything. And now that's where the attention goes, right? Yep. And then all the crowds are together and every time Numpendulo Shaira try to speak, things are being said. Directly things are being said. So I'm tuning this out, then I get attacked. So I think because obviously the students were also on Twitter and everything, mm. one of them saw it, who was next to me, and they start threatening me. Yeah, they're like, Literally, we were like very like I was in the crowd, and they're threatening me and they're pushing into me, and I literally I was shaking. And I remember uh, there was another student who was next to me that I knew, or I had seen around on campus, and 
I was like, I'm actually scared. And she's like, no, no, no. And she was with a group of her friends and two of them were guys. So they kind of like put me mm. inside them. And I even asked them, I'm like, can I move inside you mm. so that like I can stay away from this group of guys? Mm. And there was an, a verbal altercation about this. They were asking me why I'm cheating out these things, whatever, whatever. And then I got home that night and I wrote that piece because I was just like, seriously. And this is broad daylight. And then one night, I think it was the night of the sit-in, I was going outside to do an interview with someone. So it was in the evening at about 10 or something. Or I was going home. I don't remember. The the dates have like just melted Un- together. Un- understandably. Yeah. And like this guy was like, this is the bitch that says, that was talking about page. I don't know. He said something, but like, yeah. And I'm walking alone in a empty corridor at night yeah. and I should feel safe. Simply because I called out something within a movement, you know. So it was it was very, very real. And it was there. And there was it it was there from day one. It just got more intense, I think, as the violence around the students increased, as the emotions increased mm. as well. It just became very telling. And that's where Mbogot or Lead, hashtag Mbogot the Lead was birthed from. You know, so it was yeah. Gender is there and it was just, it was shocking, but not, it was not surprising. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think, thank you for saying that it started so early. I think we love, and probably we, and probably me too. I think we like this idea that everything started pure and, and beautiful and then perhaps got tainted later. Um, as with our public sentiment, that is, that is so fickle. So, um, so how 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 did you manage your s- sort of solidarity post that? Um, when suddenly I can imagine a disappointment from you, a frustration. You said not surprising, but what disappointing, shocking. How did you how did you navigate being feeling? I I assume afraid, disappointed, but at the same time <laughs> still being a part of this as a student yeah. and as a as this journalist. I stood in solidarity with yeah. the 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 women of fees must fall advocates. Yeah. Um that Monday they said we were dukes. I, I don't know if you remember, yeah. if most people remember, they demonstrated. They were wearing white shirts, black pants, non partisan white shirts and non partisan dukes. Yeah. This is this is when Bogota Lead was born, you know, and um yeah, that day as hot as it was, I came in a white shirt um, and I wore a duke. And I, 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 that was me saying, I stand by this. You know, and I carried on reporting because the bigger newspaper was the protest. Yes, this is big, but there is a bigger kind of like issue, you know. And so it was like reporting on everything that was happening, yeah. but including the fact that I remember one person saw me, one of the male protesters mm. saw me in the Duke and was like, ah, also you. And I was like, duh. I like that also you, <laughs> like even you. I've, yes, I've been <laughs> captured. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, the evil of feminism has got me. <laughs> you mentioned having a few things um, that you sort of wish you wrote more on or you took some notes on. I mean, do you do you anticipate or see yourself writing writing anything bigger, something long form, a book? I mean, this is easily something that you could you could write a book on. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, 
I don't know. Maybe. Not anytime soon. Okay. I, I don't, I actually, I don't know. I, I don't really think about that. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not a thing that I think about. If somebody wants to pay me to write the book, <laughs> well, then let's talk. That's a different story. Yeah, like, but like, I, I, I have yeah. uh, documented it yeah. from my perspective, you know, and uh, life is long. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say life is long before. Oh, life is long, you know, and the book can come up. You never know. You never know. Yeah, okay. it's 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 not a necessarily open door, but I can definitely say it's not a closed one. Okay, I mean we're gonna move on. Please, must fault just now. What yeah, please. <laughs> when you when you and I know you hate making predictions, but when you see everything happening now, do you see sort of? Uh, a free or closer to free or closer to decolonial de- sort of uh, tertiary education anywhere on the horizon? Do you see, do you still feel that kind of momentum from other students, from the government, from, from do, you, do you still s- feel like we're moving closer? Do you see something on the horizon? You know, because I am not, re- I haven't reported on it yeah. since like last, early last year when I was still a general news reporter. I, I really, I, I, I want to stay clear of making any, stay clear of making any predictions, but I, I completely believe in the fight for free education. Yeah. I completely believe that no matter the, the kind of politics, whether it was party politics, yeah. uh, the kind of gender tone deafness, and erasure that has happened within Fees Must Fall and other student movements throughout the um, the past two years, I still believe that it's a genuine cause. Okay. And it, yeah, I, I I still anticipate hearing more about it. Um, and I know I spoke a lot about Vits, but because yeah. that's where I that's was, where you, were, no, you know. Where you were. But. Yeah, another thing I wish I I, w- I would have been able to report as in depth for a university like TUT or University of Limpopo, but I don't think I would have been able to do it as brilliantly as I did it for Vits simply because that was not my campus, you know. Um, but yeah, I I would like to see that. I would like to see some kind of progress from. Whether it's government or university structures in in their individual and uh, what's this institutions, like a way forward, a step in the right direction. Because we're so it's so stagnated. Because government keeps on saying the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you've been busy since this, as you mentioned, it's two years <laughs> ago. You found yourself in parliament. Um, so when people say the sky's the limit, you're not you're not messing around. You you make things oh, happen. Man. Well, so tell us, how did you end up presenting to a parliamentary committee? So, Liberty Africa yeah. uh, had this. It was one night. I was I was working on my honors thesis. Okay. I remember that night, and I was just like, I cannot read one more study. Okay, like I'm tired. So I just I was like on Facebook, like in the middle, like at one in the morning, yeah. and then this uh, thing from Liberty Africa popped up on my. Um, Facebook and it's like, uh, if you, if you're a young person between these ages, what is the one thing that you, if you had a chance to talk to MPs, what is the one thing that you'd say? And I opened the link and it was like a really short entry form yeah. and I just filled it in. 
like boom, like in 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and obviously pads, you know. Uh, I like how you say obviously pads. Yeah, like what else? I mean, you had written before, and I love this from your blog saying, why is having a vagina so expensive? Exactly. And that I yeah. had written is that. that, that was I had written that before I before even applied this. Okay. for this. So okay. this was a thing like I've thought about and I've been angry at and I've, I've been a part of, yeah. like it has been a part of like kind of like my scope of thinking mm. for a while. So it wasn't like out of the blue, out of the blue. So it was like, hmm. And they had a selected, a few selected departments, yeah. uh, like uh, parliamentary committees that you could present to. So it was health, forget the others, but health stood out, right? So for me, it was two issues. It was, I remember I applied with two issues. I said, Obviously free pads, like hello. And also the fact I, I remember reading a story earlier that week where there are not enough gynecologists or obstetricians mm, okay. in um hospitals in Limpopo and Mpumalanga. You know, so I was just like wondering what happens to poor women who can't afford a gynae. You know, and so I put those two issues, that's why I chose okay. health, because it was that thing that had angered me uh, worried me rather Early in the week And the thing that is always worrying me Is the price of pads and tampons and all that So it was like those two issues okay. And yeah So I applied And they, call, they called to tell me that I won yeah. um, I was at a Fees Must Fall protest It was during like Fees Must Fall week <laughs> So I'm like, I'm like Hi, like this is important and I'm really excited, but like, I'm in a protest. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I answered because I was waiting to go on radio for something. Oh, so, so I thought it was the, here. So I was like, I'm sorry, I really need to go. Like, please send me an email. This person is telling me that I've won and they, something. They, they, they expect you to be excited. Yeah, but like, I was like, yeah, but I was like, I really, me. and it's like, no, I'm following, the person who was calling me is like, no, I'm following your fees must fall coverage. Okay. So I totally understand. Okay. So I was like, okay, okay. girl, we'll talk in a week. And yeah. They briefed me, I needed to prepare a proposal, so I started doing my research just after fees must fall and everything. It was meant to happen in November before yeah. November twenty. Did you know what needed to go into a parliamentary style proposal? Did you have an no. idea? You but just... like they gave me a brief. Okay, like, there were meetings what... there were meetings okay. to prepare me. Okay. I was like Dumbo and they like yeah. helped me through it. Like, <laughs> honestly, Shailene Clark from Liberty Africa yep. is the bomb dot com. Okay. She basically groomed me okay. into a parliamentarian presenta- presenting person, okay. proposal person, whatever. <laughs> and so like, yeah, and there was training. I had to have like Skype meetings with people from the parliamentary monitoring group who had to like tell me how to address MPs. It was like a whole process. Jeez. And this was like in a week or two, like in two weeks, mm. I had to like prepare everything. And my proposal was getting edited um, and then they were reverting this, like, this information is inaccurate. Like, it was. Oh, so they're checking the facts and yeah, checking. Yeah, yeah. Saying, and no, we need this and that. Wow. And then it went, it, yeah. it went to, uh, the head of the, the chair of the parliamentary, the health parliamentary committee. Mm. And it had to be changed, uh, to be like a multi, like, it, there was a process. Okay. And it then didn't happen in 2015 because there was a strike. In Parliament, so Parliament. Yeah, was, Parliament staff, right? Yes, yes the Parliament staff was striking, so yeah. yeah, it messed things up. It's fine. You and know? you've been on standby this whole time. You're yeah, ready I was, to go. Yeah, yeah. You're, I was like, okay, yeah. no, no, fine. Um, then Parliament closed, and it was going to happen 2016 early. Yeah. But in my holidays and in the time that it wasn't happening, I yeah. started reading more on, you know, the like strategy of sanitary. 
products for people who have uteruses. And side note, we say people who have uteruses just because, because just because you have a vagina or uterus doesn't mean you're a woman. So it's something that I had to be schooled on as okay, well. Okay, so other than women or people who menstruate, yeah, or, people or, yeah, have a uterus. Or people who menstruate, people you can menstruate. see, yeah. Okay. Um, so like it's something that I also had to like call mm. myself out for. Yep. Um, uh, talking to a friend of mine and a colleague of mine who is uh, who is queer and who is non-gender conforming mm. and menstruates, but saying women and girls is you know yeah. so yeah we've kind of like I've kind of like changed it to people who menstruate. Okay. So yeah and yeah so the 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 the, the good thing with the postponements that were happening was that. I could do that You know mm, I started learning more I understand yep. I started learning more About how We I, I need to I need to not be problematic And I, I need to be a better human Like we all need to be All the time And I started learning more And um, It kept on getting postponed Until Last year When did I go to parliament? November I think Last year, November, okay. yes. <laughs> Sorry, like, uh, it's a new year, so it's And you like, had a false start. You had, wasn't there once you were, you had to go down or you had somebody fly down and it, it didn't happen? Also, yeah. Then, uh, my dear friend yeah. and an amazing woman from Amanda.mobi, Koketo, the, I couldn't go because they mm. kept on confirming very late. Okay. And I have a day job, right? Like, so it's not like I, I was, I, I was on standby, but I, it had limits. You're I also had not to. In Cape Town. Yes, I, I'm also not in Cape Town, so it's not like, um, telling me I'm, mm. I need to be in parliament tomorrow at nine mm. at, at four pm is mm. going to like automatically happen. So there was a time I really couldn't go because I had work commitments that I they just you know I couldn't let go of and go get a wind and it didn't happen. Right, and we just like oh, and so the next time I was like I can't do this to get again. Yeah. She can't like fly there again. So. I, I I asked my boss very nice and she's like, You have to go. Nice. I went and I presented and it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> trying to be a nice human being in twenty seventeen, I'll say that um <laughs> Why did you we want the juicy dirty version? You're giving us the nice editing. No, I'm version. I'm we giving the-, the hopeful version, you know. Um I'm, 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 I'm realizing diplomacy yeah. is, is necessary, you know. So in the spirit of diplomacy. And honesty. And honesty. Okay. Uh, I was shocked at some of the questions okay. I was being asked. Like, you know, I, 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 and I was very disappointed as well at the kind of struggles the, Women caucus and the parliamentary, the, the women in presidency parliamentary committee mm. faces, you know, from issues like, for example, the person who I was not the only person presenting on oh, the okay. day. Okay. So there was, uh, it was me, um, it was the Department of Treasury, it was Department of Health and Basic Education, right? And this is a conversation that obviously parliamentarians have been having themselves, okay. you know, it wasn't a new thing. Okay, so you it's, know, on the, it's on their radar. It's, it, it's on their radar. For okay. me, it was, I was like about pushing it to be an agenda. Okay. Right, like let's move forward. It's almost like how free education has been on, on the government and political parties' <laughs> radar, but like, hey. So it was like pushing yeah. it there. 
And for me, it's one, the, the, the woman who is there representing the Department of Health did not know she had to be in Parliament until that morning of the presentation because her male boss just told her at that point, you know? And so it's like, it's not a priority because even the the kind of like people, the decision makers, the policy makers are patriarchal and sexist and think and don't prioritize issues that affect people that don't have penises. Hmm. They're very phallic in their thinking. They're very phallic in their policymaking ways. So that was a very real thing. And at that point, I sympathized with the MPs and the people, the, the women that have to work with these men, whoever they are, who have the keys to making these decisions. Hmm. You know, but at the same time, it's are they are they in the the influence and the personal capacity and and power that they have? Are the women doing enough? You know, it's so it was like um, that was like I'm caught between those two, mm. and it's like I, I I don't think it's a prior, priority for other women as well because women can be patriarchal just because uh, just because someone is systematically marginalized it doesn't mean that they necessarily sympathize. Yeah. Ooh. Rhymed, um, but yeah. Okay. So it was that that was the outcome from Parliament. It's that there is a lack of agent urgency, and there is a lack of political will. Okay. And I do not think MPs, and and this is obviously not all MPs. Mm. I don't think MPs. I don't think decision makers in Treasury and Departments of Health, Social Development. And um, education are taking this so it needs, issue. So it needs those. So it needs cooperation between. So it's not just a health thing. Yeah, it's not just a health okay, thing. So it needs health it's a health education. thing because there are health implications yeah. to not using yeah. proper sanitary yeah. products. Yeah. It's an education thing because there are people who menstruate that miss out in school. Yeah. It's a social development issue because there are people who are not in the schooling system or formal employment mm. system that are menstruating yeah. and will need free pads. And if we give that. That, that learner in grade seven, a 12, 12 or 36 pads a month, they are going to go back into a household with other female people there who will share it. So it's about making sure that mm. it's a holistic provision for everyone and also higher ed and basic ed. So it's a multidisciplinary yeah. issue because there are different ways in which firstly we can dispense the, the pads or, uh, or the sanitary products. You know, so through schools, through clinics, through SASA cards for people who get social grants, you know, so it's like, for me, it was like, I wanted to hear, are they thinking about these things? Mm. Are they, are they finding, trying to find tricky ways of, you know, it's treasury saying that they're going to drop the VAT. It's treasury going to drop the VAT, you know, like these things. So it's not, it's, it's not, it's not a one Mm. department issue. Mm. And I think, um, they are hiding, our leaders are really genuinely hiding behind the fact that it's a complicated issue. I swear, like, I left uh, parliament and I was like, I, I'm willing to quit my job. Like, I'm willing to stop writing for a while, yeah. while if they would say I should find ways of You'll doing do this. this. I would do it. The... If, they, if they wanted, if the government wanted to commission me to find ways on making this work, I would completely devote my life to it because 
I'm speaking to lawyers. I've, I've sat in meetings with policymakers, with people like Amanda Moby mm. and people that work. I've read up on how condoms are distributed yeah. and how that works through even like NGOs like TAC, you know, mm. like there are ways. And I obviously I don't know everything yeah. and much here. I wasn't like wagging my finger to government being like, I know better, but it's like, let's invest in. Let's find things that would work. Let's try something and let it fail and find a solution. Mm. But this meet task teams about task teams about task teams is silly and it's, we need to stop that. Okay. Sorry. I, pads. Yeah. yeah, Pads. I'm passionate about pads. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not without reason. I mean, aside from your personal experience, I mean, you had some stats that you wrote about. I think the cost of, I think you said of a, a, a person who menstruates lifetime was, I think it was about 400,000 rand. No, 40,000 40, rand. Yeah. So that's a big difference. Excluding inflation. Excluding inflation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you're not just spending 40,000 rand, right? They still have, they still food. Excluding still pain medication. Transport. There's still a lot of other things. Exactly. In. There's another 40 on top. Yeah. So it's not. You know, it's not. You it's don't not, need, it's not peanuts. Need to excuse your your passion for this. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Okay, I was gonna ask why why health issues, and it's I, I think that question is is no longer necessary. Why not health? Yeah, why? I mean, I can imagine a lot of people were excited about a, a career for you in, in in political journalism, and 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 you being the the next the next big thing in in in, in politics, writing. So I'm I'm curious about that switch. Oh my gosh! So I. I tried the general news thing. I'm very grateful um, to have landed a job at the Mail and Guardian, my first real job, I guess, at the Mail and Guardian, fresh out of Uh, varsity, bushy-eyed, naive (laughs) little girl. Uh, You know, and it was such a great opportunity, and I'm so thankful for it still. And I started as a general news reporter, so I'd write... Obviously, education, yeah. because like I kind of like fees must fall, and I dabbled in a little bit of politics. But the one thing that I really liked doing was writing features. Okay, you know, so not necessarily like a newsy thing, but like something hearty and human interesty. And yeah, that was where I I tried. Like I I went to the rallies. I I went to the presses. I Went to the manifesto launches, the ANC 8, Jan 8 celebrations last year. It was my first story at the Mail and Guardian. <laughs> I was thrown into That's the deep end. Right and it was just like, oh my gosh. But thank God it was in Rustenburg because I'm from there. From so it Rust- was easier. <laughs> so it was almost like. You just <laughs> called your people. like Not really called my people, but it was like, it, it, it wasn't. It didn't make me too anxious because I was in a, a common environment, yep. if it makes sense. I, mean, so, I can imagine. Yeah, so. Yeah, you know, I I tried that, and it was I won't lie. Like politics is an is an exciting beat as a journalist, but it's it just wasn't for me. I wanted stories that that, and not that politics don't doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. stories that matter to me, and to people around me. You know, so um, yeah, that's why. Bekisisa, which is the center of health, uh, the center for health journalism at the Mainland Guardian, is known for its narrative features. You know, narrative like long narrative pieces. And when a job opportunity came, uh, arose there, I applied. 
And obviously I'm there now And it was just like also a perfect fit Because I had been at the Mail and Guardian mm. So it wasn't like I was completely shifting yeah. companies Or whatever So yeah, I did that because I really wanted to write Stories that That you can read in a year And it still be like a wow mm. story You mm. know And like politics is very fast And I was I, I just I was not enjoying the fast pace yeah. Of politics or general news, so yeah, that's why I moved to feature writing at uh, and health right and health journalism. Where it's not just like health, you know, like people think health. I don't know. It's like this boring thing. It's so interesting, you know. Um, I did a feature on C-sections and natural birth mm-hmm. and the kind of crisis that's happening in in gynecology, private health gynecology mm-hmm. in this country and. Uh, I interviewed a woman who, for an hour, sat down and told me how she gave birth. It was really exciting. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. Right now, I'm currently busy with a story about natural, uh, about uh, water birth. It's really interesting as well. Uh, there are stories about condoms, you know. Uh, how you, you remember when Max condoms came out and so the deputy president yeah. did that whole thing in that thing in parliament and introducing them and yeah, it was the very awkward and, and yeah, but I, I I personally I think that was like a very like amazing thing. Important thing and so the story I did was I tracked down where uh, how, why did uh, choice change into Max and there was also a lot of outrage around government just making free condoms. Free flavored scented condoms, but they can't give us free pairs, right? That was an uh, an, an argument I heard quite a lot. Yeah, saying why condoms? It is, I it's a it's a false dichotomy. One because um, we cannot forget that we just came out of we're coming out of a yeah. an HIV epidemic, you know, and and to say that poor people don't deserve. To have sex with safe sex that they enjoy. Mm. So the research that government did, which I got my hands on, um, said that people complained about the scent yeah. um, and the texture of choice. So uh, it's what's called condom fatigue. So people at the beginning, people started using condoms and like mm. them, but people were starting to use condoms less and less. And in in an era where we're trying to combat a uh, HIV rather. Mm. It's not helpful. Yes, you need to pay attention yeah. to that. So feedback. this is why Max yeah. Condoms was created. So it's government doing its job, listening to the feedback, yes. and yes. like a really great yes. Example, but people yeah. didn't understand that, yeah. uh, and it uh, like I wrote a, a, a comment piece explaining that. Like, uh, firstly, like we can't, as somebody who's really passionate about um, pads, I will not say that we must not have flavored. Condoms because of pads mm. For pads These two things are not divorced from each other When we look at stats in South Africa We realize that young black women Between the ages 15 and 24 Are the most infected with HIV More than their male counterparts yeah. In the same age group So even HIV prevention Even safe sex Even flavored condoms Is a very gendered feminist issue yeah. Women who women in heterosexual relationships Cannot negotiate condom use mm. This is why it's important to have um, Female condoms Which is another story that I did Where I interviewed a young woman uh, Who tried out uh, Female condoms with her partner You know So these issues For me, it's, for me uh, Becoming a health journalist was about 
be, uh, being in a space where my very feminist ideals, my very social justice activism can play out better in my writing and I can prioritize it in the stories that I write. And I have done that. Like all my stories kind of like since I've moved to Big Caesar are all, are all about women or gender issue in one way or the other. You've, you've always been really unapologetic about, um, your gender agenda, as I think you put it once. Um, and your feminism and, and your sort of whole self being, being part of your, part of your work. Is that, is that a conscious thing you do or is that just, this is me, I'm a whole person and that this is just, this is what happens when a whole person brings themselves. Or do you have to constantly be like, no, I, I have to bring this into the story or I have to bring this into the work? I don't, I don't do it. I don't, it's, it's not a thought. It's not a, it's not a conscious decision, you know? Um, I think I, I experience life as a young black woman, right? Uh, I experience life through the color of my skin, the way I speak my English, the way my hair looks, uh, the shape of my body and the fact that I have a vagina, this is just the reality of the world is that I live in, right? And certain things happen to me, it, it happen to me because I'm black and mm. because I'm a woman. So I can't really divorce myself from this and identity. Say, oh no, I'm just gonna think about yeah, health I only, can't. not as a black. Yeah, woman. I'm not just health. Like in yeah. general, like in life, I yeah. can't divorce my experiences of life from my gender, from my race, from my class, from my sexual orientation, from um. With everything that makes me who I am, you know, and so it has. But uh, but I've also learned that even in like even though life could be hard as like a black woman, young black woman in South Africa or in the world, actually, um, there are great things that happen because I'm a young black woman, like. We can dance. Uh, we've got rhythm. Like, you know, like silly things. Like there is the banality in my blackness and my womanhood also makes me happy. Yeah. You know, we speak loud. And when we are out at a party and I go into the circle, my girlfriends are going to be like, Jaiva, yo, yo. And it's going to be fun, you know. And it's just like, I love it. I, 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 I do not hate my identity at all, but I'm also very aware of the disadvantages mm. that my identity come with sometimes, you know? Um, for example, before I even, I think I knew who the hell Bell Hooks was, um, I think I was in first or second year and some douchebag called me loud. He's like, you are so loud. And I lost it, you know? And, and I was like, you know, would you say that to a man, mm. firstly? Would you say that to a white person? I remember those are the two things that I confronted this guy with. I was like, would you say that to a white person or would you say that to a man? Why do you think it's okay for you to say I'm loud? Simply because I have an opinion, you know? Because if, even then, at 18, at 19, I knew it was about the fact that mm. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a girl and I'm saying the things I'm saying, mm. you know? So... 
It was there, like it was inherently there, and I just the the older I got, the more vocabulary and the, yeah. the pick up patriarchy, <laughs> cisgender, yeah. and all these things. But for me, it's I was having the experiences before the the theory came into my life, and the theory has helped me understand better understand my situation, and has shaped. My career, it has shaped my personal life. You know, the way I choose to interact with the people that I date or my friends or like the kind of spiritual beliefs I have are shaped by that. It's like they're mixed together and they're influenced. And it's really like a wonderful journey. And I'm like, what, only 26? So like like I said, life, life, is long. Long. life is long. Life is long. Imagine <laughs> the wealth of knowledge at 30, at 50, yeah. at 70. So I'm like very excited to to unravel and to become me even more every like year, every day. It's it's, it's interesting. I mean, speaking of things that you bring you bring to your work and things that, that make you who you are, I'm curious about being from Rustenburg um, and now working and living, you know, here in Johannesburg. And is if, if either the rural-urban divide or just not being from, you know, the, 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 the center of South Africa and this whole excitement we have around Joburg being where everything happens, if that, if that divide or that separation um, has, do you think, influences you in any way? Yeah, firstly... Yeah. Um, gets on Muruleng, right? I say Rustenburg because every time I say I'm from Muruleng, people do not know where that is. On this day forth, I will, I will acknowledge and understand. Yes, no, so but I, like, to your, to your, <laughs> kind. yeah, yeah, you know, like, you don't know. I always say I'm from Rustenburg yeah. because that's easier. It's like people who say, but I'm really like, yeah. even on my Facebook, yeah. it says from Muruleng <laughs> because like, I spend a lot of, of my, like younger years being very ashamed that I'm from like a village okay. and like a rural area. It was like, I, I don't even know why, but I was just embarrassed because rural areas are backward and, uh, we don't have tar roads and everything, but I've learned to like really love being from ruling, you know? Uh, and the one thing I love about being from like a remote it's and by the way there's a mall five minutes away from my house because capitalism is the devil deep in my village there's the mall there and across the mall there's a museum so it's like very it's very different from when i grew up there but it's still very like it's home you know it's i know we might not have water for three days and i must make sure the jojo tank is filled before christmas day just in case what I love is that, you know, my my parents, well, because they work, but if they're on leave, they can go a while without seeing white people. Now that there's a mall, there's a problem, but like, because the resort's around, but like, and, and, and not that white people are bad or anything, but like, it's so nice to, I, I want to put this in a very like, in the, 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 it's so nice not to, it's so nice just to be around black people. Yes, it's about that. It's almost so nice to be divorced from the toxicity of whiteness. It's not necessarily white people, but what it, what white people bring, sort of, you know, like, it's so nice to forget to speak English, except when you see it on the TV. Mm. Every time if I go home for like even longer than a week, I am thinking in Sitswana, which is something I do not do when I'm in Joburg. It's very rare, you know, Mm. it's things like that. It's, 
it's not leaving the house for four days. It's walking on sand barefoot. It's going to the back of the yard and getting a mango and a pawpaw and garlic because our yard is so big. We've plant, we have a whole vegetable and fruit garden, you know, it's, it's, uh, the divide is there and there are adjustments that I, I need to do. But the older I get, the more I appreciate rural life and start to value it for what it is, you know, and I, I, I really, I, I, I'm starting to go home more often than I, 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 I used to when I first got to Joburg. Because, you know, the lights were bright and it was nice and there was clubs and there was Rosebank and there were all these like cute mm. things that I didn't have back home that I was experiencing here. But I'm, I'm starting to appreciate the banality of blackness that exists in a space where whiteness and almost like whiteness as the biggest almost like oppressive thing doesn't exist. It's, it's nice. You know, but also there's the the heartache of dealing with the patriarchy or like dealing with the issues that exist within like black communities. Like in the three, four houses around our house, I think my family is the only one that has graduates, you know, things like that. Things that, like, I have left the people that I grew up playing with behind. That um, when I was in first year, a kid that I used to babysit mm. died of HIV. Like, I was 19. She was 16. She died of HIV. You know, and, like, it's... Or, like, rather, she died of HIV-related illnesses. I'm still learning the health thing, okay. you know. Um, so, it's it's things like that. It's also... It's that hurt, of knowing that the little money that my parents, the little financial margin that existed between my next door neighbors and my parents allowed me to have such a different life. Like literally there was, you know, it's that small. And it's also scary that I am that, that, that that's the difference between me and poverty because black middle class is more fragile than masculinity <laughs> you know and uh, I'm, I saw this tweet and I retweeted it over mm. uh, during the week it's like it's so something and I'm paraphrasing it's so sad that but the reality is that black middle class is one catastrophic uh, in- incident away from poverty mm. and that's true you know and also like living with that living with Knowing that it's so nice here and I'm so grateful. I'm thankful for all the sacrifices my parents have made and my siblings because I'm the last born. So they had all the black tax that I have been exempt from. Mm. Hallelujah. But you know, I am that, I am that close to poverty. I'm that close to suffering, like extreme suffering and to have to go back there and have the guy that you looked up to when you were growing up, the brother, whoever, you mm. know, and now like be calling you my sister and like treating you in, in a way that almost feels unnatural simply because 
you are in a better economic mm. standing. The power has shifted. Now. Yes, the but power shifted. It's, it's so weird. And it's not even happening with just like my neighbors, mm. even in my own family. Mm. You know, uh, we have cousins that are poor. We have, like, a, I have a cousin who's around the same age as me and she works at KFC and gets paid like 1,500 rand a month. And like, how do I, we grew up together. We grew up playing, skipping rope together. And now there's this, this big gap. And I'm like, another interest of mine is unpacking these. How do I relate to my cousin that I love that I grew up admiring who I still admire? How do I relate to her in a way that doesn't look down on her and that, that respects her? But when there's this very gaping difference between the directions in which our lives went, you know, so it's, Hope, like, it's nice to be from, from another place because I get to escape mm. the, the pains of that place. Um, but they don't go away, you know, and it's just like navigating between those two worlds is, is a really great thing that I like, but it's also a burden. So, yeah. Two coins, two sides to a coin rather. Well, you know, I think you being so reflective and, and constantly thinking about it, I think that's the important thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Ponza Pelani, thank you so much for making time for us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, I promised this last year yeah. and I like completely forgot. You didn't I, know, I, man. You didn't I'm, I'm so sorry about <laughs> that, but this was, it's, 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 I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to listen to this. <laughs> Because I have a phobia of my own voice, but like it was really, it was really, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the reflection and the, the probing. Yeah, it was, it was less daunting than I thought. So thank you, King Lee. Perfect. Okay. The awards are well deserved. Keep doing what you're doing. We look forward to the books and memoirs and all the fun things. (laughs) The memoirs. Why is there more than one there? (laughs) To have a double life. You've just said you do. For everybody tuning in, thank you so much for listening. This is a daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. Remember, you can download the podcast and listen to others aside from this one. And please, please share this far and wide. Uh, we love having you and hearing your comments on Twitter. Uh, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com.